Hi, this is Jim Lebedo, and I'm president and founder of a company called Performance Group. You're listening to the podcast version of a program that originally aired on the BizTalk radio show. I started BizTalk so you'd have access to today's leading experts about growing your company and yourself. BizTalk is produced by Performance Group. At Performance Group, we work at the front end of a company's revenue stream. We find the salespeople who generate the revenue, and we provide onboarding programs that get them doing that sooner. Our passion is aligning talent with opportunity. That's why we're known as a Salesforce development company. Enjoy the program. On our program today, we have Corliss McGinty, human resource expert and author of the book, The Good Bus, Getting the Right People on Board is Just the Beginning. In her book, The Good Bus, Corliss gives practical leadership advice that begins with hiring smart, but also includes aligning individual goals with organizational purpose. Corliss states that creating a winning team and strong corporate culture isn't rocket science. It's just common sense. Corliss, welcome to the program. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate it. Well, Corliss, you really hit on an important topic, and that is, first of all, getting the right people on board and then getting them onboarded the right way. So let's talk about first getting the right people on board and getting the right people in the right seats. Why does that appear to be such a difficult problem today in business, getting those right people? Well, in my human resource consulting practice, I see a lot of problems that happen because you don't have the right person in the right job. Or you get a surprise. You know, you hire somebody and after a while you kind of figure out they really don't have the competencies to do the job and you thought they did. Or, you know, down the road you have performance problems, which, you know, that takes up a lot of a manager's time so that he's not spending time with some of his talented people. So hiring the right person, to me, is where you need to put the effort. One reason I use the good bus is because of Jim Collins' book, you know, Good to Great, where he talks about you've got to get the right people on the bus. But I thought, you know, it goes a little further than that, too. You know, they've got to be sitting in that right seat. So slow to hire, fast to fire. That's one of my mottos. And I would agree with you. We see putting, you know, sometimes the right person, but putting them in the wrong seat. I mean, that sounds like counterintuitive, but, right, you can have this really great person, and then we put them in a wrong assignment, then they appear to be not that great of an employee when actually we got them misaligned. So when you're out consulting and working with customers, how do you make sure that they're lining these individuals' talents up with what the task of the job is? There are very good assessments on the market now that just don't measure one or two aspects of a person's talent profile, but also digs into their personality and what motivates them and how do they think, that sort of thing, which is great if you have a benchmark to compare that against. And I think that's where the rubber meets the road is to take your time to really benchmark your jobs, really figure out who is the ideal person for this job and exactly what do they need. One time I had a client ask me to come talk to an employee that was having some difficulty. And this was the perfect example of, you know, how this can be used. We sat down, about eight of us, and did a profile of the job. Everybody did a lot of assessments. We tweaked it. We had it. Then we had this person take the assessment also, and we did a gap report. And exactly some of the issues they were talking about showed up on paper, exactly. And I knew when I was coaching her, she is not in the right job. 
So we really focused on, you know, what would be right for her? What does she want? And ironically, she decided to leave the company. But when she gave notice, they were like, no way, no way, you're not leaving. Because she was very talented. And when they said, what do you want? She knew exactly what to say. And instead of having her in this management role, they put her into project management, which is more her cup of tea to do projects with other people throughout the organization. You see it from beginning to end. She loved that. She just loved it. And she's happy as can be now. But there was great talent right there in front of them, and they just had her in the wrong position. That was it. Thank you for that story. That really illustrates what we're talking about. But why is it that some managers almost take that personally, meaning that the person isn't performing, they say, well, they're either not committed, they're not trying hard enough, and they go that route instead of stepping back and saying, well, where is the misalignment there? Why do most managers sometimes jump to that conclusion that the person's really wrong? Well, that's a typical fundamental attribution error where we attribute any kind of problems to they're not motivated, that sort of thing. And, you know, actually there are six different areas that affect performance. And one is certainly your ability. Can you do the job? And one is the motivational part. Will you do the job? But there are social implications. There are structural. I mean, even your environment, even your tools that you use, your pay, you know, you being in sales, Jim, you know, you can just imagine if you want your sales team to work as a team, you know, Joe's really good at opening and this person's great at closing, but your compensation is not team-based, it's individually based. That can be a problem. So there are many different areas that can affect performance. Even some you may not think of, like social, somebody might be really producing and, you know, making a lot of widgets or whatever, and their peers could say, hey, slow down, you're making us look bad. You know, things like that, where people so want to fit in, but there's this peer pressure not to be so good. So I think we need to really open up our eyes and look at the whole picture and not just assume the person's not motivated or they said they knew how to do something and they don't. It's more complex than that, but also worth it if you can save talent. No, absolutely. So let's pretend Right. We've taken a leap here that we have benchmarked our position and let's pretend that we have found the right talent and they show up at our door the first day and they're ready to go to work. Too often, I think we see people just, I call it orientation or onboarding by fire hose, right? They just... <laughs> <laughs> Lock you in a room and for, you know, three hours or three days, depending on the job, and tell you everything you're supposed to know about the job and then throw you at it and it's kind of sink or swim. So what do you recommend to your customers when the new employee shows up that first day? Boy, you have hit a spot with me because I took a job one time where they put me in a cubicle with a policy manual for days and said to read it. And, you know, no introduction to the people I'm working with. It was awful. So I decided when I was working in a corporation, I was going to do things differently. Matter of fact, the Friday before they started on Monday, I just call them and say, we are so excited about having you because they might be having a going away party and having buyer's regret. And then when they showed up, 
their manager was there to greet them. The receptionist is like, hey, Jim, welcome aboard. They go to the office. They've got business cards. They've got their name plate. I used to, I said plant because I used to give them a lucky bamboo also. You know, they're expected. And then there's a plan. You just don't throw them in the water and say, figure it out, produce as fast as you can. So, you know, they get oriented to who's what. If you can, if you're a big enough company, have an orientation program. If not, have the manager take ownership or give them a buddy. Show them where things are, who does what, how to find out information, and maybe even talk about culture which, you know, a lot of times people have to just figure that out on their own. If they see a funny face with somebody, they're like, oh, we don't talk about that. But go on and put it all out on the table and then talk about some three-month goals, some six-month goals, some, you know, what's expected. And to me, most importantly, talk about how their job contributes to the overall mission of the company. You know, why it's so important. Because from my experience, there are so many people out there that don't even know their department goals, much less the company. And when you feel like you're a part of a team and your job's contributing and you're important, even if you're a janitor, it's all important, then you're just much more engaged. As I listen to you talk about that, that's really not hard to do what you just stated. No. You know, like, it's not rocket science. It's like if you've got a new employee, you've invested a lot of time interviewing and finding the right person and maybe a lot of cost. Maybe you use a headhunter because it's getting harder to find talent nowadays, really good talent. And why not make the most of it? Why not make sure that you do your part in making them go, I made the right decision. I made the right decision, you know. We had a couple new employees start at one of our clients. I'm coaching this team, and it's a customer service team. And the reason I'm in coaching, because I do sales coaching, it's like, well, they're not really salespeople, they're customer service. But we're having these people do cross-promotion. So the customers call in, they solve the customer's problem. It's a perfect opportunity to Mm cross-promote different parts of the company's products. Anyway, that was the purpose. So we had this new employee, and we're doing coaching with her, and things are going well. And about probably eight, nine, ten weeks into it, somewhere in there, I was talking to her, and I said, how's it going? She goes, well, I just had my review. I said, well, it's kind of early for a review. She goes, oh, not really a review. She says, I went around and talked to all the department heads. They have us do that here at this company. And every one of the department heads, including the president and CEO of the company, stated how important cross-promoting was to the, not only the company, but also to the department heads. And how cross-promoting was so critical and the fact that I was doing a good job. And she was just beaming about this. And she was so excited to hear that one part of her job, which is this cross-promotion, she knew it was part of her job, but she didn't recognize how significant it was till she had this review you know, eight, ten weeks into her job, and everybody told her and reinforced how important it is. And to your point that if you tell these people these things, they feel good about what they're doing rather than just being a task. You know, you must do this. You have to do this. You know, here's the reason why, you know, we want you to do this. As we stated, you said it's not really rocket science. Sometimes it's just using some common sense. Absolutely. 
absolutely. And I like that they did a follow-up. You know, right. don't wait until review time. Matter of fact, I think performance reviews are going to go away, which part of me says good riddance because managers didn't like doing them anyway. And <laughs> as an HR person, you're pulling teeth all the time. But, you know, with the new generation in the workplace, they want feedback in real time. Right. You don't want to wait for a year, and, you know, the whole thing is so angst-producing that I think it's good just to set up some sort of a feedback system, you know, so that you know how you're doing right away. Yep, I would agree. Feedback at the end of the day, at the end of the week, and the end of the month instead of the end of the year. Yes. This is BizTalk. I'm your host, Jim Lobato. Our guest is Cloris McGinty, human resource expert and author of the book, The Good Bus, Getting the right people on board is just the beginning. In addition, of course, sharing your expertise on onboarding, you can find other experts that have shared their wisdom with us here on BizTalk. Those are available as podcasts on our website and cover business topics in the areas of recruiting, leadership, marketing, performance management, sales and sales management, and, of course, personal growth. You can download those podcasts from our website, biztalkradioshow.com. That's B-I-Z, Show. Corliss, so now we've brought this person on board and we've gotten them comfortable with what's going on. But one of the things that really stood out for me going through your material is aligning everybody with the purpose of where the company is going or the department. How do you get your customers to do that? It seems that's another difficult thing that we tend to miss when we're onboarding our new people. Well, I like to have variable pay along with, you know, your base pay. and On up, up, don't mean to cut you off. Really, uh, variable pay. Well, now you're talking like a sales manager. So variable pay even, I mean, for all of our positions or most oh, of them? Oh, that would be fantastic. Okay. <laughs> that would, well, and I've been in that position, and I haven't really been in sales, so I am now. <laughs> Back then, no, I wasn't in sales. But for everybody to create goals and things that they're going to accomplish in a quarter or within the year or whatever, that cascade up, you know, to the objectives of the organization. And that way they know exactly what's going on and how they contribute and whether we're meeting the goals and and how their neighbor contributes. You know, that's how you can align it is, number one, (laughs) communicate what it is the company's trying to do and then align their goals to that and reward them on meeting it. I would rather keep base pay at market or even a little below but have that variable pay make a big difference so the real producers are making more money. I like that. We might do away with pay scales in the future too. You know, if you get a Michael Jordan on your team, you're not going to say, well, I've got to start you at the 50% percentile here. Eh, you wouldn't do that. You'd pay him whatever you had to. It's interesting that you mention that because it just dawned on me that one of our clients does exactly that for all of his positions. Corliss, they have obviously your base pay. Most of his people would qualify for like salary, right? So they have the base salary. Then they're paid a percentage of, they have like, they have a pool, they call it. They put a pool out there for each employee, X number of dollars. And you're paid X percentage of that pool if the company is profitable. And then they pay X percent if your department hits its objectives. And then they pay X percent on individual objectives, things that were set up for that individual. 
So there's three levels of incentive, company, department, and individual. And just listening to you, I could see that would be very motivating. They don't have to be, you know, traditionally we give incentive-based pay to our sales producers. But in this company, these are warehouse managers, they're customer service managers, they're technicians. So you can do it for every one of the positions if you just sit down and think about how to put that together. That is fantastic because, you know, the company has to be profitable. People understand I'm not going to get a bonus if we lost money. And especially with team goals, if there's any way to make them visible, that would be great. I like that. I really like that, just making them more visible and people more accountable. You know, one thing, since you're in sales coaching, is one thing that kind of bothered me at a company is this person who – was inside sales trying to generate leads at a company, was getting a bonus, and that bonus was based on how many calls he made, you know, how many dials, that sort of thing, and he put them in salesforce.com. And I'm like, wait a minute, that's rewarding activity when we really need to focus on rewarding results. You know, this guy might make, you know, a thousand phone calls, but did it do anything for the company? No. So, you know, I think it's important when you do make these goals that, of course, they're objective, but also it's really encouraging people to get the results, not just be busy, because we can all do that. Yeah, absolutely. Don't confuse the activity with getting results, right? Right. So, Corliss, when you work with companies, we just talked about it here, and again, it seems so easy to just you know put some type of incentive out there for the results you're looking for. Why do you see that that's not typical inside companies? Why are companies hesitant to do that for positions outside of sales? I do not know why. Well, part of the reason is it's work. No. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> more work on my plate. The other is, you know, some people have trouble coming up with, you know, objective goals, things that can be measured. So you mentioned customer service people. Well, you can take some calls, you know, you can be pleasant or not pleasant. So are you going to measure the number of calls? A lot of times they measure how long. Okay, you've got three minutes. And, you know, when you put little rules like that into play, what happens? They're like, "Uh uh-oh, I'm coming up to my three minutes. And they're like, well, let me transfer you to somebody that's more senior than me. (laughs) And they get off the phone. They play little games. And is that really what you want to measure? Or do you want to measure customer satisfaction or number of calls, how long you were there? Again, the activity. You've got to think about what is the result that you want out of this position. And you want happy customers that feel like they were listened to and they would recommend you to other people. I don't think it's a skill gap in HR. I just think that there's so many other things going on that they just think it's kind of complex. And it's like, you know, is it worth it? But it really is worth it. It's worth it when people are clear about what they need to do and they are given the tools and the motivation, you know, everybody's working on the same team, and it's all out there in the open. It's invigorating. I had a job like that in Austin, Texas. That It's one reason I started my business. It was so good. And we eventually got acquired, and before you know it, the very thing they acquired us for was gone. <laughs> but we were very 
upfront about how we're doing financially. We had great relationships with our customers. They were our friends. They could talk to anybody in the company. We were very careful about hiring, very careful. And matter of fact, I would be the last one interviewing, and they would either give me a thumbs up or thumbs down to really sell them on the culture. And I'd just push an offer letter right in front of them there, just have it all ready. And they're like, whoa, because that's another part of the hiring process is sometimes you go in a black hole. You know, sometimes you spend a lot of your time interviewing and all that, and you're the one trying to find out what's going on. Well, that really gives you a bad taste for the company. So we just looked at everything we could do to make the best culture possible, and I was empowered as their HR mama to do that, and it just was wonderful. There's nothing like getting up on Monday morning, and you can't wait to go to work. It's just, you know, totally different than that other company where they put me in a cubicle for days. <laughs> that particular job, in my head, I said, I've got to stay here a year for my resume, but I should have left right away. Hmm. It, it just wasn't for me because that showed me what was going to happen in the future, too, and it's true. Interesting. You know, it's just like when you meet somebody, you know, your first, what, they say 30 seconds or something like that is where you figure out who are they and how do you feel about them. That first day of employment's the same thing. It just sort of shows you what's to come. So you've got to make it really important. You've got to show them that they are important and you want them to be productive in this company. So there you have it. Corliss, when you sit down with your clients and you explain some of these concepts to them, What's typically their reaction? I kind of seek out people who get it. You know, that was one of the issues I had when I started my business. Everybody's like, you've got to have a niche market. You've got to have a vertical or what. And I was like, really? And I figured out my niche was to work with leaders that get it, that understand about people. So I still go and have a drink after work or have a coffee with somebody that I'm not working with anymore because, you know, we worked together five or six years. I've done all everything in my toolbox with them. But we still like to talk about people at work and what makes them tick and what are some of the new things going on, like, you know, not doing performance reviews or having fun at work. It's a novel idea. <laughs> I'm so glad there's research on that now. This happiness movement and, you know, sometimes it takes numbers to convince you, like the Gallup survey on engagement and things like that. It takes numbers to convince you that having fun at work is good. It is a good thing. That company in Austin, we had so much fun. I mean, we worked hard. It might be through the night even. And we played hard. We had a prom and did stuff in the community. And even within the office, we would – I had a little PVC. It's like a gun, but it had marshmallows in it, little miniature marshmallows. And we'd shoot them across the room over the cubicles. And, and I had a magic wand that made some noise, and somebody else would answer me. You know, you have the atmosphere of – we're good, we're going places, and we're going to have some fun doing it. And we did. And we were very productive and happy. Yeah. <laughs> happy. <laughs> this is BizTalk. I'm your host, Jim Lobato. Our guest is Corliss McGinty. 
She is a human resource expert and author of the book, The Good Bus. Getting the right people on board is just the beginning. So Corliss, you've obviously been, as you call it, the HR mama. Some people would call that the HR director. Yeah. When you look at the future of HR inside companies, where do you see HR fitting in and where is it going? Well, HR has been talking about for 20 years now, we've got to get a seat at the table. We've got to. And they're now learning what are some of the competencies that HR needs to have to truly be a business partner to the business and the leaders. And I think it's going to be more of a, yeah, I see a lot of titles, business partner, HR business partner, or coaching, that sort of thing. So I think it's, I hope, move away from so much compliance and that sort of thing and really move into dealing with the people part of business. I think benefits and compensation are important, but that's not why people really come to work for a company. It's not just to pay or they have a great medical plan or whatever. I think they see opportunity to use their skills and to learn something and to work with great people, and I think that's what makes the difference. So. I really think the HR people of the world need to tune in to how am I going to find this great talent out there because there is a talent war going on. And I know people back during the recession are like, there's plenty of people to hire here. Oh, yeah, right. But, you know, you just look at some of the numbers and the demographics and the boomers retiring, and there is a talent war going on. There are plenty of people but with specific skills that you need and people who are motivated to be rock stars at work, not so much, not so many people. What is the biggest misconception about hiring the right people and getting them in the right seats that you see? The biggest misconception? Yes. I think sometimes, like in sales, people go, you know, we got to get butts in seats. You've got the opportunity cost of having a job not filled for a certain period of time. And I think sometimes they might say, you know, this person's good enough. And then they deal with the performance problems down the road. And then they're sorry they did. If you're with a company president today, what's the one piece of advice you're giving them? Really to have the mindset that people are your most important assets. I know that you've got a great product or a great service, but it's the people who deliver that. It's the people talking to customers on the phone. And really think about how you're going to attract the best and then how are you going to keep them. That's, to me, job one. If you were talking to a potential candidate, let's say, or person who's wanting to switch jobs, what advice are you giving them about choosing the right company? Well, you know, that's funny. When I do career coaching and I do offer a free session to my HR friends who are in transition, and I ask them, what do you want? Tell me about your ideal job. Most people don't know. They really haven't thought about it. But to me, that is more important than spending time on your resume and making sure everything's right, is to really think about what you want. How do you want to feel when you go to work? Who do you want to work with? What are you working on? What's your interface with customers? That sort of thing. 
and then figure out what companies fit that profile. And I say try to get a list of like 10 to 20 companies that are your target. So it's very similar to having your own business and you have a target market. Same thing with people looking for employment is have target companies and then start really researching them. Oh, LinkedIn is so big. Finding people there and, you know, researching it and doing informational interviews with some of the executives and start getting a plan to go in and do that. So often they get in a position, well, this job, I could do this job. I could do this, but it's not really what they want. It's a stopgap for, you know, not having income for a while. I think it's just really important to think about truly what do you want and then go get it. Just go get it. Don't settle because work is so much of your life, so much of your life. And it doesn't have to be a bad thing that you tolerate and, you know, you have to deal with things all the time and you come home and it just dominates you know, how you feel about your whole life if your job is not good. So take the time to think about what do I really want, what's important to me, do I want a company that, you know, maybe helps feed the world or do something like that, or does it not matter? You know, just take your time because this is your life. Just like with the company, hiring the right person, that is the lifeline of a company, and for an individual taking the time to figure out your special talents and your uniqueness and how they would best fit and and align with your passion, it's worth it. It's worth it. And so many people don't do that. They don't take the time. Oh, no. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of self-help things, and there are career coaches out there that can kind of help assess and guide you into that. But when you take the time to do that, you got to plan your life. You know, it really gets me that people will sit down with, like, a financial planner and plan their retirement, but do they sit down and plan their life? No. A lot of times it's, and I'm guilty of it, <laughs> early in my career, people would, like somebody at church would say, we have an opening, you want to come by? Oh, sure. Somebody I babysat for said, we just bought a nightclub, would you like to run it? Oh, Sure. Anything that came my way, I'd go, yeah, that sounds good. But it wasn't until I really, and this was like in the mid-'80s, I really had to think about what do I love. I'm like, I definitely don't like numbers, you know, that side of the brain. I like to, to be more creative. And so, you know, I got into the world of gray. You know, numbers are black and white, and people are gray, and I love that. It's intriguing. And I'm always reading to learn more about people and what makes them tick. Yeah, I always ask the candidates when they're confused about what they want. I say, what are you passionate about? What's your passion? And they'll say, golf. (laughs) (laughs) Well, be a golf instructor, right? (laughs) Yeah, right. So, Cloris, is there one question today I should have asked you that I haven't? Hmm. I think you have done an excellent job, Jim. I can't think of anything. No, thank you. Well, you've definitely made it easy for me today. So, Thank you. The book is The Good Bus, Getting the Right People on Board is Just the Beginning. Cloris, if people wanted to reach out to you to find out more about what you do, how would they contact you? Well, the best way to get me is Corliss, C-O-R-L-I-S-S, at H-R-Mama, and Mama's M-O-M-M-A. Dot com. And 
I am happy to send somebody the ebook, or you can get the book on Amazon or Barnes and Noble all over the place. And one thing I did with the book is I made it really short. It's like 70 pages or something like that. It's not long, but I really hope it's going to be thought-provoking because I go through the whole thing about getting the right people on the bus and the right seat, going to the same destination, and singing Kumbaya, having some fun. And I hope it's something you can read on the plane and then just really start looking at some of the concepts in there and start thinking about it. Maybe my next book will have more fluff in it. and more stories, that sort of thing. But this really gets down to business in the book. That's what I like about it. It's really kind of a handbook to get you started and going in the right direction on everything we talked about today. Yeah, yeah, and just think differently about things. You know, a lot of people are operating out of old paradigms about what it's like, you know, what's important to a business owner and that sort of thing. And, you know, I think it's time to look at this angle, the people part of business, and how very important it is. You can have headaches or you can have bliss. <laughs> <laughs> well, Cloris, thanks for being on the program. Thank you, Jim. I really enjoyed it. It was a great talk with you. This or other BizTalk podcast may be downloaded by visiting our website, biztalkradioshow.com, where you can subscribe to BizTalk through iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at BizTalk1040 and like us on Facebook. If you want to learn the strategies finding and getting performance out of A-player salespeople, contact Performance Group by calling 800-950-9509 or visit us on the web at pmgllc.net. This has been your host, Jim Lovato.